You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. We're wrapping up our series on Ephesians today. And I'm, I'm like, it's kind of bittersweet for me because I have really, really enjoyed Ephesians. Uh, I have learned a tremendous amount about life and about unity in the church. And so uh, it's, it's, but I'm excited because in, I think, two weeks, not next week, but the week after that, we start a new series on Revelation, which uh, will be super fun because no book of the Bible brings more unity than Revelation because everyone always agrees on every. So that'll be interesting. Um, but I've learned a lot through Ephesians, and I'm hoping you have. And today we're going to conclude with probably, I would say, maybe one of the most familiar passages in the entire Bible. Uh, if you grew up in church, I can guarantee you've heard this before. You've probably even heard a sermon on it. If you didn't grow up in church, I'm willing to bet that at some point along your life, you have been exposed to this passage we're about to read. So let, let's just go. It's Ephesians 6. Uh, we'll start in verse 10. It says this. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it as fearlessly as I should. Okay, any of you people who've grown up in church, have you ever heard this passage before? Pretty familiar, right? I'm willing to bet it's somewhere you probably heard a sermon on it, right? And typically when we hear a sermon on, on the, the armor of God or whatever, the sermon sort of goes like this. Like we say, okay, this is the, the belt, and this is what the belt is, and this is how you wear the belt, and this is, you know, the hat, and this is what the, the helmet. And like they kind of go through each thing. And so that's typically how I've heard this message, which is one of the many reasons I'm not going to do the message that way, because I like to do things different. And so my hope is today we'll hear something a little new. And, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with doing it that way, like taking just the belt and the whatever. But that's kind of plucking the passage out of context. And what we've been doing with Ephesians is not just trying to figure out what each verse means, but what does each verse mean in the light of every other verse in Ephesians? Like we're trying to figure out not what do we want this book to say, but what did Paul want it to say? So in the scheme of all the other Ephesian-esque stuff we've read, how does this passage fit in? And so I think the first thing we probably want to figure out, um, if you're going to arm yourself, which I know in the South we don't necessarily need a reason to arm ourselves, but if you're going to try to figure out, you're arming yourself, I think you should figure out why. Why? Why are you arming yourself? Like why, why are we putting on this armor? And the second thing I think we want to figure out is who and what are we really arming ourselves against? Um, I think those things matter. Uh, who I'm fighting has a tremendous amount of influence on the plan I put together for that fight. Uh, if there's one thing I know, it's about planned fights. 
High school. Um, Y'all remember high school when you, would, when you would get mad at somebody on a Tuesday and you would plan to fight them at 3 o'clock on Friday? And by the time you got to the fight, someone was like, no. There was, <laughs> the rest, if you're a boy, you probably remember because we didn't really think these things. So you just get mad. And, all right, we're fighting. When are we fighting? We're fighting Friday. Meet you at the flagpole. And it's like you'd wait all week. And by the time you actually got to the fight, you forgot what you were fighting about. If we're going to fight, we need to know why we're fighting because there's different ways to arm yourself versus different battles. I mean, we're talking about an attack on the body, right? Uh, leprosy is an attack on the body, right? You fight leprosy a certain way. Uh, I would attack that different than I would attack, say, my daughter with a pillow. That would be an attack on my body, but I would fight that differently. And so if we're going to fight a battle, we need to know why we're fighting and who we're fighting so that we can make sure we're arming ourselves the correct way. Okay, what we're about to do now is called audience participation time. Do you guys know what that means? Yes. Oh, yeah. See, that was kind of a trick question. Because <laughs> if you didn't say yes, then I would know you didn't know. So let me ask you again. Do you guys know what audience participation means? Yes. All right, great. So we've been going through Ephesians for a long time. What is the number one thing Paul has been talking about for eight weeks? It is one word, and it rhymes with community. Can anyone guess what the one thing we've been talking about for eight weeks is. Throw it out there. You, good job. Unity. We have been talking about this for week after week. So if Paul is talking about arming himself and protecting something, my guess is one of the things he wants us to guard the most is this supernatural unity that we are supposed to share as the body of Christ. That there's something that should look so different about us and so unique and so mysterious because we are all unified around essential beliefs. It doesn't mean we all look the same, right? There is great diversity in this room. Well, I mean, there's decent diversity in this room. But like th th there's, there's diversity. We're all different. But we should be united and together around those things that are essential. So when Paul talks about arming the body, what he's talking about is protecting the unity of the body. And so let me ask you guys another question. When Paul wrote this letter, did he write it to one person? No. That was a little more feeble. The answer is no. No, he wrote this to an entire group of people. That's why I remember it says, y'all, 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 y'all. So Paul is not talking to one person. And every time I've ever heard a sermon on the, on the body of Christ, on the, on the armor of God, it's like, it's like talking to me. It's like, Tommy, you do this and you do this. But Paul wasn't talking to one person. He was talking to a group of people. So as we are arming ourselves, don't just think about what this means to you. Think about what my armor means for my neighbor. Think about how arming yourself matters not just to you, but it matters to the entire body. And the truth is the church is only as strong as the weakest person in the room. And so we must all arm ourselves because that's who Paul is talking to. He's talking to us, defending us against whatever. Second thing, what are we arming ourselves from? This is one I feel like the American Christian gets wrong frequently. And I'm going to go, guys, you're not arming yourselves against Democrats, okay? I know, I know that's a worry for some of you in the room. Like you're not, and if you're a Democrat, you're not, if you're a Democrat, glad you're here, but you're not arming yourself against a Republican, right? Like there's our diversity. Like you're not arming yourself. Matter of fact, it says it in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You are not arming yourselves against those people, 
And everyone has a, those people in their mind. Again, if you're a Democrat, those people might be Republican. You're Republican, those people might be Democrat. We've all got a those people. You're not arming yourself against those people. I've seen so many things on like Twitter and stuff where, where it seems like the church, we are defending ourselves against those people. Guys, those people are not our enemy. Those people are the very people Christ died on the cross to save. Those people are our responsibility. And we've been saying that in here for a long time. So you're not arming yourself against those people because those people aren't really the church's problem, although we like to blame them for our problems. So what are we arming ourselves against? Well, let's go back to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4.14, and it says this, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teachings and by the cunnings and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings. All right, so in, in that verse, what are we arming ourselves against? It's not the people, it's the teachings. We're arming ourselves against deceitful schemes and bad teachings. And we live in a world where it is really, really easy to follow bad teachers. In a social media world where everybody can say, man, I, I, um, I was reading Twitter this weekend, again, because it's my favorite social media. I can't stand Facebook anymore, but man, Twitter is still interesting to me. And Beth Moore tweeted something. Y'all know who Beth Moore is? I like her. I mean, she's, I think she's cool. And so she tweeted something, and it was something about having a crush on Jesus or something like that. She wasn't really speaking literally. She was kind of being poetic and cute or whatever. Man, every pastor on Twitter just started going after Beth Moore. And what happened on the next 87 threads on Twitter was Christians publicly devouring other Christians publicly. It is the grossest thing I can ever watch is when Christians attack other Christians and pounce on them. Uh, and we've got this, this world where this is what people do. That they, they attack, and we've got teachers who are teaching us, pastors who are teaching us that it is okay to publicly attack other Christians. That is bad teaching. It is bad teaching to teach people when you have pastors who are public names, who are publicly going after Beth Moore for some stupid tweet. It's insanity. We don't publicly devour one another. You know where family business should be handled, guys? In the family. Right? But we have teachers who are teaching us that it's okay to do this, that it's okay to, to write whatever you want on social media, that it's okay to follow anything your little heart wants to hear. It's bad teaching, and so we're supposed to protect ourselves and, and guard from that. Ephesians 4:22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Okay, so what are we protecting ourselves against in this verse? Your old self. I think we forget how dangerous our old self was. One of the best things a Christian can do is remember who you were apart from Christ. Remember who you were before Christ. I know who I was. I was not a great human being. Uh, I had some, I still have some flaws, but I had even, away from Christ, I was flawed and incredibly dangerous. And thank you, Bruce. That's. That's, that's my brother. Mm -hmm. In, uh, in 830, I, I said that. I was like, man, I know who I was apart from Christ. I was dangerous. And this dude went, amen. And I was like, you didn't even know me apart from Christ. <laughs> amen me. But yeah, he was right. But 
But like, and, and you know, and, and look, we're a new creation, right? We all get that. We're new creations. But how many times does the old you try to stick his hand up out and grab the new you and pull him under? Doesn't this happen? Like, remember who you were apart from Christ. Don't ever begin to believe your own hype. Don't, my boss said this in such an eloquent way. Oh, I can't even say that. He said, all right, I'm trying to edit this real quick in my head. Okay. He said, a lot of, he said, everyone else can believe your stuff. But he said, don't you ever start to believe your own stuff. And the point was, don't forget who you really are, right? And then don't forget who you really are apart from Christ. And remember that the only reason that I am who I am today is because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we remember this and we guard against our old selves. Ephesians 5, 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual morality or impurity or greed because those are improper for God's people. So what are we guarding against in this one? There's three things. Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. We, we are guarding the body against sexual morality, against impurity and greed. It sounds like those people are getting further and further down the list of things we need to worry about, doesn't it? We're guarding our own hearts, we're guarding our body against greed, against immorality, and against impurity. And, and so, I mean, it, it's again, it's like everyone should be carrying their own weight. Everyone should be doing something. Everyone should be sharing. Everyone should be committed to protecting the unity of this body by guarding their body, by being careful with what... Paul's been really clear about this. Your body is the temple of God. Be careful what you do with your body. Your mouth, your words matter. Be careful what you say. Your money wasn't just for you. Use it for someone else's glory. Use it to build the kingdom. I mean, these are real clear things that Paul has addressed, and this is how we protect the unity of the church. Number uh, Next one, Ephesians 5.11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. What are we guarding against in this one, guys? The devil's schemes. Um, this is a real deal. There is really evil in the world. I believe there is a real devil. Um, I believe there is a real enemy of our soul. I believe he came to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe he has schemes that we frequently fall for. Now, I also don't believe that everything you do wrong, you get to blame the devil for. This is like the biggest cop out in the world. Well, man, I, the devil made me do it. I'm so sorry. I stole your wallet. The devil made me do it. You know, I, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't steal your wallet. It wasn't me. <laughs> I just wrote a new song. <laughs> That's probably enough of that song. Right, yeah. Okay. But I mean, we can't blame the... I, I, the devil made me sing that. <laughs> we can't blame the devil for everything we do wrong. It's like my brother, Jeff, and it's probably one of the very few wise things he says, but one of the things he says is that the devil's not down here tempting everybody. He's up there on a yacht drinking margaritas, watching us and laughing because we destroy ourselves. We are so often our own worst enemies, but there is an enemy and he is real and we should be protecting ourselves from his schemes. And then the last one for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, does anyone remember rulers and powers and authorities? We spent a lot of time on this. The rulers and the powers and authorities we're protecting ourselves from are anything in this world that want to separate God's people from each other. Rulers, so those could be political affiliations. 
I'm not saying it's bad to be politically affiliated. I'm for you, whatever. But if you begin to elevate your ideology in a political party over your ideology as a follower of Christ, then you have succumbed to the powers of this world. If you begin to not love people because they're not in your political party, man, the powers have got you wrapped up. I mean, gender can be one of these powers. People, you know, alienate because of gender. And race can be one of these things. People alienate because of race. Even denominations. Guys, I love denominations. This is not a non-denominational church. This is a multi-denominational church. We're made up of all sorts of denominations. I love denominations. But how many times have you ever watched different denominations rip up other churches? That, again, gross. That is something we should never, ever, ever do. Is, is, is argue and fight because one person believes you baptize like this, another person believes you baptize like that. I mean, what? <laughs> this, is what this is what we're devouring each other over? Just think we can do better. So we got to know why we're fighting, and we got to know who we're fighting, right? Y'all remember this song? <laughs> Kiwi. I'm in the Lord's army. Y'all remember that one? I may never march in the infantry, in the cavalry, shoot. That's the weirdest song ever. It's weird. That song is weird. We had the little kids back there talking about, I'm in the Lord's army. I'm like, ah, what? So weird. And like, I think a lot of us showed up for, to learn the song. We're in the army. The problem is we didn't show up for the pre-meeting sesh where we actually talked about what we were fighting and why. Right, so we're all ready to go to war against those people. But those people aren't the problem. Often, when, you know what I find out the problem is? This people. This people is typically more of a problem for the church than those people. And so as we really begin to find out what we're fighting about, then maybe we can ride in the cavalry or whatever in a way that's <laughs> effective. <laughs> so I always thought that song was weird. All right, so now we take on the armor, right? All right, we take on the armor. So, so now we know what we're fighting. While we're fighting, we, we begin to put the armor on. So let me ask you this. Where do you all think Paul, it, let me, a better question. If you were to write a story about armor, where would you get your ideas? Let me, Scott, you all would get your ideas from the military because you all have actually seen armor. So they would get their ideas from the military, okay? From, that's how they would probably write about armor. They would have some actual personal experience. I, in very similar, I've seen Saving Private Ryan. So I actually have a lot of it. <laughs> I've got a pretty good amount of experience, too, honestly, because I've seen it a lot of times. But, like, if I was to write about armor, I would write based on my experience from watching Saving Private Ryan. Uh, what would you, you would probably do the same thing I would. Most of you guys would just write on your experience from watching Cops or Saving Private Ryan or wherever you got your experience on armor, right? Well, Paul wasn't in the military. And Paul had never, ever seen Saving Private Ryan. It came out three years afterwards. And so Paul, Paul had never seen this. This is a little known fact. Paul had never seen that movie. And so where is Paul getting his experience to write about armor? Where do y'all think? Possibly, but where does Paul get almost all of his information when he, when he goes to another source? What is the source Paul goes to? Boom, Old Testament. When Paul is looking for an outside source, he almost always goes to the Old Testament. He uses scripture to write scripture. What a novel idea, right? And so listen to this. So this is Isaiah 59. This is really cool, guys. So Isaiah 59, 12. For our offenses. Whose offenses? 
our. Th- these, are, these, are, these are Jews. These are God's people. When they start talking about sin, whose sin do they start with? Their own. There's a good little lesson for the church right there. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth is stumbled in the streets. Honesty can't enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked, and he was displeased because there was no justice. Okay, so God looks down on his people and he sees that truth has now just become whatever they want it to be, that there's no righteousness, there's no justice, that our sin, the sin of God's own people has caused a problem between God and his people. So watch what God does in verse 16. This is cool. Now listen for some key words here. He, God, saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. No no one righteous enough. No one could solve the problem. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. Does that sound familiar? He put on a helmet of salvation and garments of vengeance. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Y'all see where Paul is getting his language? He's getting it from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is full of passages like this where they talk about sending Jesus and Jesus arming himself and how beautiful are the feet because he's, he's going to war and all these different passages about Jesus. What, what we're hearing, what Paul is saying is this armor of God that we're to arm ourselves with, it's not armor God gives you. It's armor God himself wears for you. And that's a difference. Listen, Romans 13, Paul spells this out. Romans 13, 1. And do this. Understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Arm yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. This armor that we're putting on is not armor God gave us. It's armor God wears for us. The armor we arm ourselves with is Christ. We clothe ourselves in Christ. The kids take on the armor of the Father. We actually take on the character of Christ. What does it look like for the body to arm itself? It is the body looks like Christ. When we're wearing the armor of God, we are acting in a manner that shows the world Jesus Christ. We're not fighting those people. We're becoming like Christ. And we're loving those people. We even lay down our lives for those people. Verse 12, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. If we realize that Christ is the armor we're putting on, why would we just want partial armor? Like, why would I just want a little bit of Christ when I could have all of him? Isn't that an interesting question? Why would I just want to show up for an hour on Sunday When God's offering me power and hope and peace and joy, 
Why, why would I just want to be part a little bit? Why? Because the truth is, guys, remember this. They used to put their shields together. The Roman soldiers would go shield to shield to shield to shield, locked together. And if anyone wasn't fully armored, what they were was a liability to the rest of the group. And so if one of us is choosing to not pursue Christ with our whole heart, not only are we putting ourselves in danger, we put the group in danger. We must think about each other as we take up our armor. So, so verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which y'all can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all of the Lord's holy people. When we see this as instruction for arming the body, not just yourself, it's not like a real mystery what these weapons are. It's not a real, we don't have to, we don't have to over uh, churchify this uh, thing to understand what the weapons are if we're seeing this as a collective call to protect one another. What would it look like to protect each other? It would look like being patient with each other, being kind with each other, Elevating the other human beings in this church over your own political affiliations. Loving people even when, here's the kicker, even when you don't necessarily like everything about them. Isn't it hard to like people you don't like? Isn't it easy to like people you like? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing beautiful about, oh my gosh, everyone in my group is just like me and we get along so well. Of course you do. There's no mysterious unity in that. You surrounded yourself with a bunch of people who agree with everything you say. I love people like that. Who doesn't? Right? That's why every, I give Kinley sermons. She's, yeah, that's great, man. <laughs> but what about, what about unity with people who disagree with some things? What, what, what would it look like if you and I could share agreement on the essentials, on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and have humility in other aspects and guard each other and protect each other. And when someone goes through a hard time, the rest of the body is there for them. And when one goes down, people pick them up. And we actually cared more about the other people in the room than what we were getting out of the room ourselves. You want to be in the Lord's army? You don't need a clip. You need a willingness to lay down your life for someone you don't like. That's what it looks like. It looks like a room full of people who come in every Sunday, every week, and they say, you know what, no matter what, I will elevate your needs over mine. No, you, you need help in the nursery. You know what, that's not my favorite thing to do, but that is where I will serve if that's where you need help. You need, and by the way, we do. That was a direct pitch. <laughs> there is always room for more people back there. Uh, and, and it's not, well, I don't have a kid. We don't care if you have a kid. It's about, do you love the body? All right, the, people come to church all the time. Well, I don't have that. You know, I, I, I would love to do this, but I don't. It's not just about you. We have to stop thinking this way. And the American Christian is probably the most guilty of this because we're in a world where individualism is everything. But Paul is speaking to a world where he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. You become less. And the whole becomes more. You look around the room and say, how can I serve you? How can I love you? Do I even know the names of the people 
that God is calling me to unify with? Have I even taken the time to introduce myself to someone in this room? Well, I know you're in the Lord's army, but you're kind of in the back. Let's move to the front. There's a battle. But the weapons may not be the ones you want to use. The weapons may look different. Peacefulness, gentleness, self-control, kindness, love, 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 love. That's the kind of church that changes the world. Guys, I, I, I always imagine what it would look like to be part of a place that was made up of so many different kinds of people, different thoughts, different ideas, different colors, different, different perspectives. But in the midst of all these things, we fiercely loved and protected each other for the purpose of supernatural unity. That's the church Paul's talking about. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God revealed mystery to Paul. And now I pray that through the mystery revealed to us, uh, we're not just in here learning, but that we're actually willing to live this radical gospel out. It sounds really unpractical, doesn't it? It is. And we will look different. And we'll be in the world, but we'll change the world. If that sounds good, then I encourage you to take something you've learned walk it out. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.